I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Tonight we'll be exercising your faith, but the application. I want to give you uh, somebody to watch. You know, this morning I gave you illustrations of these different people, and we referenced them uh, going through Hebrews chapter 11. Um, but tonight I'm going, to, I'm going to take you to a guy that's standing at the threshold of not having faith and watching him have faith. And uh, it's, it's, it's a story that we most of the time do not talk about or mention in church. He's not one of the famous characters, but uh, the Lord laid him on my heart to use him as our illustration. While you're looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and I'll explain this in a minute, I want to recap a little bit uh, from this morning because of the fact that I'm going to be tying this morning's message into tonight's message through the whole thing. Talked about exercising faith is personal. Uh, as, as we looked at it this morning, God chose individuals. And we always talk about as a church, and guys, we are a church. Man, great things happen through the body of Christ or the called out body of believers or the congregation. It should. But at the same time, it's easy for us as a congregation to look over our shoulder and say, well, I'm glad there's people doing this. Or man, if more people would step up, it's, this, this whole thing was about looking in the mirror with this. That's why he started naming them one by one. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joshua. By faith, Moses. By faith, put your name in there. And if you say, well, I don't want my name in there, then don't expect to receive the rewards of the blessing of the greater things if you're not willing to do that. And then we talked about exercising faith is purposeful. You know, the illustration that I gave with, about Morgan, you know, I mean, you, you just say, what was the moral of the story? Well, to teach your kid to jump off the bed. No. The, the moral of the story was to teach her to trust in me. So I'm going to tell you, every time that God lays something on my heart as a pastor, your heart as a father or whatever, to step out in faith, there's a reason for it. God's never going to say, well, that was a big waste of time, or you blew your money on that. I mean, God will never, ever do that. If God leads you to do something, there is a purpose for it. Always a purpose for it. You know, when David fought Goliath, you think about that. He said, wow, what faith to run out there and do something so simple of throw a rock at a giant and watch this victory. I mean, you know, say, what was the purpose behind it? And say, well, duh, I mean, it was to drop Goliath. Say, on the outside, that was the purpose. Do you know what the purpose was? God was saying, how do I take a boy that's, in a, that's a shepherd and lead him to be a king? How, how could I ever start a campaign where it's like, you know, David for president? I mean, none of that would have ever worked. But on that day, the nation gathered around and they watched a young man step up and throw a rock and drop a giant. When they carried him into the city, they declared, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. All of a sudden, from that one act of exercising faith, the whole nation from one act turned and recognized him as their future king. They started following and respecting him on a way that they never did before. He say, from what? One simple act that God led him to do that had a huge purpose behind it. You know what the thing is? We can't see the other side. And a lot of times when we study these things in Scripture, it's like, well, of course, march around Jericho for seven days. God's going to do something great. They didn't know how it was going to happen. And the thing is, when God calls you to do something, you don't know what's going to happen. That's why you have to trust God as you do it, because he does know what's going to happen. And then we talked about exercising faith is powerful. Hebrews 11, at the end of it, 33, 34, those verses, 
It's talking about quenching the fiery darts and conquering kingdoms and, and stop the mouth of lions. God was saying, I unleashed power every time they did that. David's step of faith to Goliath was simple. It was personal. It was just him and God and Goliath. It was personal. It was purposeful. We just explained. But let me tell you, that rock was powerful. You say, well, it was just a rock. Yes, it was just a rock being thrown by God. He said, no, it was thrown by David. Well, you can say that and knock the giant down. So, I mean, I don't know how buff David was, but I guarantee there was a little more power happening in that field that day than just a boy throwing a rock. The little things that we do of stepping out in faith and saying, Lord, I know this isn't much, but I give it to you. Lord, I, I know that my lesson's not much today as I talk in to this group of fifth year, uh, you know, fifth, five, fifth graders or five-year-olds. You know, it's I, whatever it is. And you're saying, Lord, it's not much. God says, let me have it and let me put the power behind it as I do what you think is not a big deal. And there was power behind what God did. So all of these things lead to this. Tonight, I want to make application. We'll, we'll take the rest of our time that we have to dig into this. But uh, and I, like I said, right now, if you want to call this more teaching than preaching, the Bible doesn't declare that I have to preach on Sunday night or teach on Sunday night. What it does tell me to do is to rightly divide the word of truth. And that's what we're doing. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I, I got into this verse and I thought, man, this, this, is, this is really cool. There's two different interpretations of this verse. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God or the plan of God or, or his uh, plan for humanity or the Christians or whatever. It doesn't mean just righteous as meaning the right things, but the, literally all the things that God has for us. Of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now there is two interpretations of this verse right here. One is the interpretation that faith leads to more faith. Okay, I'm just leading that. Faith leads to more faith. Literally meaning when I learned as a teenager and I got my first job of trusting God to give of my money when I was a teenager... It was a whole lot easier to give when my paycheck, and Jordan, my son, is going through this right now, of getting a check, and it's like, wow, all that work, <laughs> such a little number. You know, and, and I, I remember my, my first job, it's going to sound funny, but I, I made four twenty-five an hour is what I made. It was like, oh, yeah, I know, it was big time. And uh, I've heard other people say, well, my first job, I made a quarter an hour, whatever, I know. But I remember my parents sitting me down, and they were teaching me this lesson, and they said, how much off the top, because like we learned this morning from Abel, God is first. God must be first. So before I ever talked about, well, I'm going to get new jeans, or Jordans, or those are shoes, or, you know, or anything like that, I'm, I'm going to start first by putting God first, and my parents taught me that. But I'm going to tell you, that faith of my check that was $45, was a lot easier than when I went off to college and we had a dual income of work and, and, and living through life. And the thing is that it's talking about that it's revealed from the time that we first demonstrate faith and that faith grows from faith to faith. Because the Bible says it's not, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You're here and it's like, well, I've been Christian 50 years. Praise God for that. But I'm telling you, your faith still is to continue. You, you, you don't get to the place where it says, well, let the next generation live by faith. I've lived by faith all this. And he says, no, it's by faith to faith. 
You get to this point, and God says, I got more faith. And I'm going to teach you, I got more faith and more faith. It doesn't stop. Because God doesn't cease to do his work through his people until God takes us home. That's why he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when we make it home. Because at that point of retiring to heaven is when you're done. You're not done here. But then there's a second thing that people say that it is. When I got in this, either way, they're, they're great, they're, they're applicable. The faith of faith is talking about my faith to your faith. Or my faith to Jordan, Logan, and Morgan. Or Jenny's faith to Jordan, Logan, and Morgan. It's my faith to that, from faith to faith, because the just shall live by faith. Putting this application, what is going to happen if me as a dad doesn't teach my kids how to live by faith? They say, well, well you, you know, I mean, you just skip out on this or that, or you don't tithe, or you don't give the missions, or you don't whatever. But what I do is there's drastic effects. You know, we, we talk about the, the incredible effects of when they followed God, the good things that they did. But stop and think about when we don't follow God, the devastating results. So Jenny and I decide, yeah, we're not going to do that. You know what that teaches my kids? Yeah, that's not important. You know what they're going to do? They're going to get inside of a church, and every time there's something of casting vision or moving forward in their mind, it's not important. And all of a sudden, theirs, I've multiplied my disobedience or my lack of faith times three. So it's, therein is the righteousness of God unveiled, demonstrated from either my faith growing or my faith being shared. But either way, let me tell you where I'm getting to. The just, us, shall live by faith. It's not a campaign. It's not a Sunday, Wednesday, offering, time, anything else thing. And if we ever get to the point where we're just like, honey, I think this is a good time for us to start having faith. God says, no, you've lost it. You're to live by faith. Literally mean God wants it, an attitude or a mindset in our life where we never stop living by faith. There is another verse that kind of gives the same illustration. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. Literally meaning every step that I take, it's faith. I trust God. Guys, you know, this morning we unveiled the vision of a two-year commitment, a two-year goal to accomplish big things, and we put up all these crazy numbers, and I'm sure people are like, oh, oh." let me tell you, those numbers are not big numbers when you multiply them times our church. That's the thing you got to understand. And one thing that I love about it, when God dropped the walls of Jericho, it wasn't Joshua walking around those walls. It wasn't just the priests walking around the walls. It was all of them obeying God. God did big things through the obedience of all of his people coming together. But I get this. God's saying the just shall live by faith, for we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to tell you right now, we're seeing the fact that this ought to be a continual, regular thing in our lives. So if you're sitting here going, well, here we go again. No, it shouldn't be here we go again. It should have been all the time in our lives because that's how God's called us to live. So here's our illustration. Here's our application. We're going to go to a guy named Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to take you to a guy that's not like Abraham. Abraham had tons of faith. I mean, Abraham was over the top. Take your son and, and, and lay him on the altar and, and, you know, and, and see what happens. And 
You say, wow, what great faith. He knew that God was not going to have him kill his son. Did you guys know that that wasn't the truth? If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll read in Hebrews chapter 11 that the Bible says uh, uh, Abraham, believing that God could raise him from the dead, offered Isaac. His faith was so big, not believing any moment God's going to say quit, any moment that God's going to say come back and don't do this. No, he believed all the way to the end. Pull the knife out and say, wow, I'm about to see a resurrection. I'm, I'm about to see God. That's, that's how much faith he had in God. Naaman, complete opposite. This guy, this guy was Mr. Doubting. I don't believe this. You know, there's just no way. But I want you to see this as we go through this. And I'm, I'm going to go a little story, uh, a shorter or um, slower through the story. Because what I've realized is sometimes I get up there and say things like, oh, you guys know the story. And then I find out that there's a lot of people that don't know the story. So tonight, if you know the story, praise God. But uh, if you don't, we're going to learn this together. 2 Timothy 5, or 2 Kings 5, 1. It's been a long day. Now Naaman, captain of the hosts of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. I, I, I can't imagine all those great things being said and then following up with this. Wealthy, honorable, captain, he was a warrior. He, he, I mean, those kind of warriors you can imagine. He wasn't some little scrawny guy. I mean, a guy of position, a guy, guy of authority. I mean, all the descriptions that we read here about the end of it, saying, but he had a problem that he could not fix. He had a problem that was going to take his life. And in spite of all the money, the prestige, the popularity, his connections, he was tight with the king, none of that could have fixed his problem. Now, the background of this was Naaman had won a lot of victories. He was valuable, not just in of himself, but to this nation. This disease was not only holding him back, it was holding back them from conquering and doing more things. And this caused great concern of the leaders of Syria. And that's why the leaders of Syria step in in a minute. Naaman was a heathen man, did not follow God, did not believe God. But he uh, was used to use, uh, win a lot of these battles. In verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So Naaman's wife had this servant that was a captive. I mean, she was a, a slave, I guess you could say, in serving Naaman's wife. Now, I, I'm pointing that point, uh, picture to you guys because of what you're about to read is a message within the message. And obviously we won't go into it for the sake of time. And she said under her mistress or under the people she was serving, would, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that was in Samaria? For he would recover him out of his leprosy. Now, I mean, you think about it. She's over there sweeping, doing the dishes, and she's listening to this conversation. Oh, Naaman, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do. We've tried so many things. The king is distraught. Our people are distraught. The army, they're, they're broken over the fact that you're going to die. You're no longer able to go into war. And she's over there just, I don't know, sweeping, doing dishes, running the washing machine. I don't know what she's doing. And she's over there doing all these things. And then she says, if, if I could say something, my God could fix that. Doesn't that just give you chills? Because you know what I would be like? 
Yeah, you, you, you know, you made me a slave. I hope you die. I mean, you know, I mean, in our flesh, we wouldn't be like that. I mean, we, we would be sitting there. But, but she's bragging on her God to these people that are treating her as, as a slave in this situation. She had nothing to gain from this except one thing, to give God glory. Do you realize everything we're talking about, of greater things in your life, in your family, in our church, is for one purpose, to give glory to God. Naaman was about to be given a faith lesson. So let's read this story and see what happens. Verse 4. And, and one went in and told his Lord, saying, thus, <clears throat> And thus said the, the maid that is of the land of Israel. So they tell Naaman about this prophet that could help him. He tells the king and says, you know, king, we have the solution. Let's do this. So the king gets excited. And so in verse 5, and the king of Syria said, go to, go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. He departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him out of his leprosy. So here's the game plan. Naaman goes before the king. He tells the king, hey, I think we found that uh, one of our servants said that they've got prophets that can fix things like this. Their, their God of Israel does this kind of stuff. He says, here, let me write you a letter and say that I'm the king of Syria and that I, you're my man and that I, I will give them all these gifts. So he gets on a horse and he goes over. He knocks on there. He w- walks up to the king of Israel and he's saying, I'm here. Here's my credentials. I need to be healed. This is what happens, not what you're thinking. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? And this man thus send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. He was offended. He was frustrated. He was carnal. See, it wasn't necessarily his God. It was Elisha that was in touch with him. But they go talking to the, the, the king of Israel. He's saying, hey, are you trying to get me, push me into a corner and make me do something that I can't do? He thought that they were trying to stir up something and, and he was trying to figure out what was going on in verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel, had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Israel hears, uh, Elisha hears, steps in, calls him and says, king, send him to me. I know what he needs and I know where to get the help. So here he is. He gets back in his chariots, gets his company together, goes down to Elijah's house, sends this invitation out to Naaman. He responds, verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And here's where we're at. Standing right there going, Heal me, baby. You know, <laughs> Make all this go away. Uh, I'm here for your God. Give me some of that you know, holy ointment or whatever you got for me. I, I, I need something to happen. And God starts saying, nope, you've got to exercise your faith. It's not just about showing up at the door that's going to fix it. It's not just showing up in the church that's going to do it. You've got to follow God. So let me give you three practical things. And I mean practical when it comes to exercising your faith. Number one, quit telling God how to do things. Quit telling God how to do things. Because I'm going to tell you what we're going to read right here. 
We have it already worked out in our mind. And I've mentioned similar things like this when I preach on prayer. When we pray, this is how we pray. Dear God, I need you to blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's what we do. We tell God how to do it. Rather than saying, God, I don't know how to do it, but I know you have the answer. And when God doesn't do what we tell him to do, and I know we don't look at it, but that's what we're doing. God, I need a job. I need it tomorrow. I'd like to have that job. And then we don't get that job. And then we turn around and says, God doesn't answer prayers. You know? And God says, I don't want you to have that job. I want you to have that job. But we tell God what to do. Verse 10. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. And Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, now listen to this. I thought, you can underline that, because I promise that's where it ties into every one of us. What I was thinking was going to happen was this, this, and this. This is what I thought was going to happen. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord is God and strike his hand over this place and recover the leper. And so that's what I thought was going to happen. But because that's not what happened, I'm done with you. Let's go, guys. Pack it up. That God didn't do what I told him to do. God does not work on your schedule, and God does not do things your way. Actually, I'm going to tell you how God does work. God works according to the word of God. He works in mysterious ways. Because what he was thinking was going to be, oh, you know, and, you know, all this voodoo stuff or smoke or whatever that he thought he was going to do. He said, nope, I want you to go jump in some muddy water. I mean, you guys know that's what ends up happening. And it didn't happen the way that he thought it was going to happen. I remember Jen and I uh, being in Bible college and all the different needs and things that we had and just the, the way that we would pray. You know how you pray when you need money? You guys know how you pray when you need money? You pray for money. That, because that's what makes sense. Lord, I have a need, and I need cash flow. So, you know, send a check in the mail. You know, I, and I, I really did. I prayed like that because I've seen so many, uh, you know, stories and everything like that. I was praying, and I went to the mailbox, and I opened up the mailbox, and there was a check from some obscure place for the exact amount of what I needed. That's what I wanted. Wherever those checks came from, I wanted them to hear my prayer and send me one of those. And it could have the, 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 the amount of my school debt on it and everything. I would have been totally cool. And the cool thing is, I would have walked out of there and told everybody how cool that was. But that's not what God did. I can tell you, me and Jen walked away from school not owing school. And I have no rich relatives whatsoever. Actually, we had a tragedy that came into a we had a terrible accident when we were in Bible college. We totaled our car. I had to go through physical therapy. Uh, Jen, Jen had issues. I had issues. I still have issues from that one car accident that we had. But two years after that, we got a settlement that they sent us a check that we did not even realize we were getting that paid for my school. And you say, wait a minute, are you glorifying God for a car accident? No, I'm glorifying God for taking care of me when I didn't know how to take care of me. And you just say, well, that doesn't make sense. It totally did not make sense. But I tell you, it totally was not expected either. 
how, when, where, everything that God did through that whole thing of that tragic situation, God knew what he was doing. And let me tell you this, too, we didn't sue anybody or anything like that. It was how God took care of us through that. None of it happened the way that we thought. And the truth is, we all think like Naaman. Well, I thought that God would just do this. I thought God was working over here. I thought if I did this and this, that God would do this and this. God didn't do what I thought. It's a good thing, because his way always ends up being better than what we think. So here's what happens next. Elijah not only does this uh, where he sends him down to the, the river to do this, Elijah doesn't even go to the door. I don't know about you, if there was this big dignitary that was knocking on your door, <clears throat> Elijah, whatever's going on, is sitting on the couch. And he tells his servant, go answer the door. And he knew that he was coming because he invited him to come. And he sends his servant to the door to, to, to answer the call to send him down. Then again, it does kind of make sense. If I was telling some military guy to go dip in a river when he had leprosy, I wouldn't want to tell him that either. <laughs> I'd be like, Dave, I got a job for you. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you need to go down this guy and tell him to jump in the river, you know. But, uh, but the, the spiritual application of this was this. Elijah never wanted to get the glory for what God was about to do. He said, when this is all said and done, I want him walking away, not saying, wow, Elijah, you did a great job. Elisha, Elisha, I'm sorry. Elisha, you did a great job, but giving all the glory to God for what he did. It must be God, it must be God's way, and it must be for the glory of God. So exercising faith, you say, I really want to do this. Then then whatever you're about to do this week of praying over giving or committing or in your personal life or your personal job or whatever, don't sit there and write it out and give it to God. Actually do the opposite. Step back and say, God, what do you want? God, I I, I don't have this figured out because I can't see the future, but you can. So God, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Number two, obey God in the simple things. Verse 13. See, exercising faith, you're going to see, and I'm going to pull you back, wasn't these difficult things. And, I, and I, I thought, well, that's true in this story. And then I started going back to Hebrews 11. I'm thinking, wow, that was true in every story. And a servant came near, verse 13, and spake unto him, and he said, my father, or that was kind of a cordial address to Naaman and said, if the prophet had bid thee to do something great, to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. He said, I'm, I'm not trying to make you mad or anything, but he said, if he would have told you to do something over the top crazy, you would have probably did it. But because he's telling you to do something simple, you're not willing to do it. Okay, walk with me through stories in the Bible of Hebrews 11, because that, that is the faith chapter. God goes to David and says, bring down Goliath. I'm going to make you king. I'm going to conquer a nation. I'm going to take out their, their warrior, all this. God, what do you want me to do? Throw a rock. We're going to drop the walls of Jericho. It's the largest city like known in existence. They drove chariots on the outside, or on the roof, or on the on the top of this this city around on these walls. 
it was so high and so wide, and I don't have the stats to, to, to give it to you the way that you guys deserve to have it. But, and God says, here's the instructions to doing something great. Walk around it. And you go through the rest of the Bible. Elijah prayed down fire from heaven by kneeling and praying. And I realize, go through the stories. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? They stood. <laughs> I mean, they didn't, they didn't fight them off. It's not like and God gave them strength and they beat down, you know, 500. No, that's not what happened. Every time that God did something great, all they had to do is exercise their faith by doing something simple. Guys, there's a powerful lesson to be learned in this. He said, if God would have asked you to do something great, if God would have told the children of Israel, I want all of you and your children to run all at one time and scale the walls of the city, we would have been like, wow, what a story. You know, I'd love to you know, hear a story, but that's not what God did. God said, I will do the work. I just need you to have the faith. So you know what, guys? You're going to sit there and say, we can't do all these things and pay down the debt and you know, do these departments and expand our discipleship. And I'll tell you, the mindset behind everything we're doing is how to train these kids that we brought in here, how to train them to respect police, to respect authority, to raise up their children to follow God, to understand what's right and what's wrong. That's the motive in my heart. That is the driving force. As the world turns their back on that, we, we want to do these things. And I'm saying, God, it's so big. It's so this and that, and we need this and need that. What do you want me to do? And God says, give. Put me first. I'm not asking you to jump through hoops of fire or, or climb mountains or whatever. I'm just asking you to trust me. And the blessings follow those things. So here's Naaman. He's like, you know what? You're right. God, God just simply asked me to do something simple. It was dunking in water to save him. Following the instructions of God and believing that God would do what he said. So here's the third practical application. We exercise faith when we simply learn to wait on God. Verse 14, so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman wanted to be healed when he knocked on the door. Heal me. That was it. But in, in, and, and I can even say, not only was it the process of going down to the river, but it was the process of seven times. I mean, you think about it. Seven times God said to dip. And a lot of times we want, guys, we're, we're a generation of instant gratification. You know, when we're exercising faith, this is what it is. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to give or I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, trust God in this. And then the next thing, we're opening the mailbox. Where's my check? <laughs> where, where, where's the results? Where's this? And the thing is, God has a way of doing it. And that's why the Bible says over and over again, wait on me. When we're exercising faith, it's got to be in God's timing and not our timing. And all these things and the plans that we have is just sitting back, waiting on the results of God. When we sit there and say, God, I need money now, or I need my car fixed now, or I need a new job now. And God says, do you trust me? Are you walking by faith? Are you walking by faith? Then let it be in my timing and not your timing. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God 
And he and all of his company came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servants. Let me connect this as I close this out to the message this morning. Let me show you the same parallel. Number one, with Naaman it was personal. Did you notice that God said, send Naaman to Israel. Let Naaman go down the river. Let Naaman dip himself down in the water. It was personal. Because I'm going to tell you this all day long. If you want to see God do anything, it, for, for every wife here, you sit there and say, well, if my husband, no, make it personal. For every teenager that's here, you sit there and say, well, my parents or whatever, no, make it personal. See what God does in your life, not just your church or not just in our nation or whatever, in your life. It was personal. It was purposeful. Say, why was it purposeful? I I thought about this. If Naaman would have walked up and said there, and Elisha walked to the door and said, okay, you're healed. God Almighty saved you or whatever, and he came back. But you know what he did? He made a spectacle out of him. I didn't even catch this at first, but that verse says, verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. I I believe even, even the way that God did that, of the purpose of why dip down there, All those guys gathered around watching this man humble himself before the God of Israel. That's not something a man of his caliber would do. But that man of his caliber is sitting there going down in there and dipping his hand, relying on God. You say, why does God do what he does? I tell you, God's working all over the place that you don't even realize. When you're exercising faith, the purpose might be for your kids to watch or your church to watch, or your neighbors to watch, or whoever it is. God has a purpose, and God had a purpose in this. But it was powerful. You say, how is it powerful? I mean, fire didn't fall from heaven. He was cured of an incurable disease. He had leprosy. He was healed of leprosy. And just so you know, the New Testament tells us that Naaman was the only person that ever was healed of leprosy by Elisha. It was just a unique situation of there. But anyways, we know that the power of God came down and did that. Actually, it was so good that the Bible said he had uh, the skin of a baby. I mean, oil of Olay can't even pull that one off. I mean, we know that something cool was going on inside uh, of this. But it was all God. And the power of God, I do believe that faith is the key that unlocks the power of God in our personal lives. And I'm saying that we manipulate God because we have a key or don't miss use of what I'm saying whatsoever or anything like that. But I'm going to say, every time that God did and displayed his power through somebody, he went up to him and said, here, try this. You do this. I'll show you. I'll do. I'll take you. Whatever. But will you do this? And so I'm going to ask you this. How many of us refuse to do things because it simply does not make sense? Doesn't make sense in my schedule doesn't make sense in my pocketbook. It doesn't make sense in my checking account. It just, to me, that, that ain't going to work. I, to me, the way that I figure, the way that I think, the way that I, and when we miss out on God doing great things because we are wise in our own eyes rather than trusting in God. We don't see how it's possible or how things just don't add up on the bottom line. And the second thing is how many of us miss out on things because we don't do the simple things? It's the simplicity of trusting in God. Little steps, little obedience, little steps of faith of doing things. That God can do great things 
from our simple obedience and trust in God. Let me tell you, after this, and it really has nothing to do with this. It's just interesting because I read the whole chapter. So Naaman comes up to him. Naaman says to him, I'm going to give you all these blessings. You did all this for me. I can't help but repay for you. And he said, no, all the glory goes to God. He leaves. Elijah's servant looks at him and says, well, if you're not going to cash in on this, I want some of that. He gets on his chariot or whatever and runs after Naaman and his company. He runs up to him, gets off and says, hey, I know he refused, but I'd love to have some of the stuff that you're giving me. He takes it all back or whatever he gave to him, goes back to Elisha. And Elisha says to him, he says, where have you been? He says, oh, I've been just elsewhere. Or I can't remember how it says, but it says something like that. I've been elsewhere. And he said, no, you went and took the blessing of what should have been to God and you took it for yourself. And he turns to him and he says, I'll tell you what you get for that. And he gave him the leprosy that he took from Naaman. If you don't get this, read, 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 just read the rest of the chapter. When you get home tonight, and you're going to see it. Whatever you do, the glory 100% belongs to God. Through this church, through your individual life, your individual giving, whatever. And I tell you, there's two sides of it. You're either going to glorify God or you're going to put yourself in a mess. But I tell you, at the end of the day, God will be glorified. 